0: Today's episode is brought to you by Create Engage, the digital marketing agency for the disruptive management consultancy. Digital marketing has moved forwards, but most consulting firms haven't. Many consulting firms still see their corporate blog as their sole digital marketing channel and find themselves frustrated when these blogs yield little, if any, results. For those consultancies that understand digital marketing, though, it can be a huge asset and help them achieve rapid business growth. In fact, at Create Engage, we've recently written a case study of one successful consulting firm that used digital marketing to help them grow over 400% in just three years. Having spent countless hours researching consulting firms and consulting leaders for this podcast, it became very clear that while some firms do digital marketing well, the vast majority of consulting firms struggle to leverage its power and don't know where to start. To help those of you who want to harness the power of digital marketing to grow your consulting business, but don't have the knowledge, capacity, or in-house capability to do so, I launched Create Engage, the first digital marketing agency for the management consulting industry. As former consultants ourselves, we understand the challenges that you face when it comes to delivering effective digital marketing that engages prospective clients and generates leads. Having worked in the industry, we understand consulting buyers, what resonates with them, and what doesn't. This enables us to harness the latest in digital marketing in a way that aligns with your brand and your market positioning to attract the prospective clients that you're looking to target. We understand that each consultancy is unique and have a range of services to help you shape, implement, and sustain effective digital marketing strategies that deliver results, regardless of where you are on your digital marketing journey. If you would like to find out more, about how Create Engage can help you use digital marketing to take your business to the next level, then send me an email at nick at createengage.co.uk or go to our website, createengage.co.uk, where you can download that free case study that breaks down the digital marketing strategies used by one successful consulting firm to help them grow over 400% in just three years and gives you the secrets they used so that you can apply them in your own firm. If you want to outpace your competitors and stand out in the crowded consulting market, then get in touch. We'd love to help you grow your business through digital marketing. Hi, and welcome to Climate Consulting. In today's episode, I bring you the second part of my conversation with Q5. In this one, I speak with Rowena Reed and Annabelle Tong, all about Q5's fantastic pop-up consulting initiative it is one of the very few positive things to come out of the last 18 months. And it's something that actually having been a part of and been a client of here at Create Engage, seeing the benefits given us, knowing the benefit that it is given to many of their other clients that I know that many other consultancies will want to learn from and emulate. In this conversation, Rowena and Annabelle share the whole story of PopUp and really give you a playbook if you're thinking of doing something similar. We talk about why Q5 launched PopUp, what their team get out of it, what the benefit is to their consultants and why they are going to keep developing it and keep it going even after lockdown ends. If you are thinking of ways that your consultancy can do more to give back or maybe you're simply just sick of painting fences and think there must be a better way to do CSR. Then I know that you are going to love this episode. So, with all of that said, please enjoy today's conversation with Rowena Reed and Annabelle Tom. Rowena, Annabelle, welcome to the show.
1: Thank, Thank you. Great it's to nice you. to be here. <laughs>
0: So I've just caught up with Ollie, having spent uh, you know a good hour chatting to him three years after our last interview. And one of the things, obviously, we we spoke about and and we're here today to talk about is, is Q5's pop-up consulting, which I know us as a business have benefited from. I know a lot of other organizations have benefited from. And and I'm really keen to dig into, because I'm sure there's some really valuable insights from my audience who are thinking of, of setting up similar or, or are just curious about what, what it's done for you and the firm. But before we do that, I'm conscious not everyone listening will know the two of you. So it'd be great if we could start with just a, a short bit on your background and, and how you got to where you are today. Rowena, do you want to go first?
1: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Nick. So yeah, I've, and actually Annabelle and I got quite quite different backgrounds, which will become clear momentarily, but I've got um, a consulting background. So I've been in consulting for sort of 10 or so years after moving over to the UK from New Zealand, where I'm originally from via Australia and France, and I've always worked predominantly in sort of transformation, change, org design, um, that kind of thing. And particularly over the last few years, very much focused on the people side of change. And I've worked quite a bit cross-sector, actually. So in sort of both cross-private sector and also public sector as well, which actually, some my experience, lends itself quite well to pop-up, which will become a bit more evident as, as the conversation goes on. So, yeah, that's a, that's a bit of background. And I think as well in terms of my role at, at Q5, I, I lead the pop-up programme I have done for the last six months or so, and I balanced it alongside some client work as well.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you for that. And we will dive into that um, very soon. And Annabelle, how about yourself?
1: Yeah.
2: So uh, as Ro was just saying there, my background's quite different. I've actually been working for um, over 25 years, which I can never say without laughing because uh, I can't quite believe it, but uh, not in consulting at all, actually predominantly in sales, marketing and more general management. So work for some great companies like uh, Procter & Gamble, Hallmark and and Apple Green and and SSC actually, uh, but obviously no company better obviously than than Q5 where we are now. And uh, I I joined Q5 to help develop the business in the north, so that's when we opened up the Leeds office. I also am the director that looks after the marketing and the brand, and also uh, obviously now uh, quite heavily involved in pop up. And that's partly because I'm a trustee outside of Q5, and I've also always had a. A natural kind of passion for charitable work um, and so I, I always think that Ro and myself we, we really complement each other because she brings all that consulting brilliance and then I'm usually the practical one saying well actually how did how we can make this work in reality <laughs> or have I seen this somewhere before so we usually complement each other
0: pretty well
1: yeah I'd say we always do Annabelle <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> fantastic and I think you know really interesting to hear the, the difference in your backgrounds I think Annabelle like you're saying not coming from that consulting sort of I guess, background, and we'll come on to some of the sort of, you mentioned you're the director for for marketing at Q5, we'll come on to sort of actually how this has benefited you from, I guess, a client perspective. But Rowena, to start with, you know, obviously you you lead the pop-up, and I I just was given a brief overview of what a pop-up is from, sorry, not what a pop-up is, why you launched the pop-up. But I'd love to actually, for anyone listening to help them understand, when someone asks me what is consulting, it's pretty hard to explain. So I'm going to challenge you and say, you know, what is a pop-up consulting project? What is pop-up consulting?
1: Okay, so good question because yeah, it's probably not completely apparent apart from something just sort of appearing. <laughs> so pop-up essentially is, um, it's our pro bono offer at Q5. And as Ollie may have explained, we, we launched it at the start of the pandemic last year. So just sort of, you know, what's that close to 18 months ago now. Yeah. And essentially what the offer is, is one to two days of pro bono consulting support, typically from a team of two to three Q5 consultants who volunteer to help alongside their um, commercial client work. And we basically provide support to Charities, not-for-profits, and small businesses. So, sort of the the key, I guess, criteria is that it's a company or organization that's small and doesn't have its own consulting budget. That's sort of the very sort of key criteria. And we essentially help them with a particular, usually strategic or operational challenge that they're grappling with. And the support typically is centered around running two virtual workshops where we you know facilitate some very effective sort of discussion challenge debate around whatever their particular challenge is so that's broadly how it works is that is that sufficiently provided yeah, I, mean, I, I, I could go on a bit more but i think we'll probably end up covering different aspects as we go through
0: yeah no i, I think that gives a great primer and you know I, I i asked the question almost knowing a little bit of the answer having been through one as i you know as a as a I guess a client of of yours but I I think really helps frame that because exactly you know when you say even one or two days of consulting that can sometimes feel quite broad what does that actually mean but the, the approach you've described there really makes a lot of sense and again just so that anyone listening can help them place sort of the the amount of these you've done sort of actually how many of these have you run over lockdown and love to understand that.
1: Yeah, sure. So we've got a sort of a, a rough target of doing one a week, which we've now wow. um, and we've exceeded it a bit—not not, not hugely—but we've done. We're now close to seventy organisations, and that's across a whole mix of, like I said, charities, not for profits, and some small businesses as well. And we're deliberately very broad and I'd say inclusive with who we support. So we've, you know, we've provided support across many different sectors and social issues. So you know, education, poverty. Food waste, homelessness, mental health, asylum seekers, like sustainability, like loads, which has other sort of you know benefits as well. But yeah, that's sort of the the offer is very broad in that sense.
0: I love that, and actually, I I want to come back to your point around doing one of these a week in the operational side because I, I'm sure that's no mean feat. But I I guess starting with the the benefits side, you know that that sounds like you've done some great work for for a lot of organisations and. And while I don't think this is purely a CSR thing, obviously it has a sort of CSR component and element. And I, I'd love to understand actually, you know, how have those charity organizations that, that you've been doing this for responded? Because I think, you know, in, in our industry, it's very common for consultants who are highly expert and you know paid large sums by their clients a day to go into a CSR day, which is inevitably painting a fence or clearing a, a playground. And look, that, that needs to be done, it's valuable. But I'd love to understand, you know, particularly for anyone listening, thinking about how they can better utilize those consultant skills. Like actually, what are some of those benefits you've seen for your clients and what those clients have sort of fed back to you in terms of the impact the pop-ups have had for them?
2: Shall I answer that, Ro? Yeah, um, yeah, go ahead. Can you, can you answer it as well? Because we're both from <laughs> different, slightly different angles. Because I, I suppose from a sort of, a, am coming at this from a business point of view myself here, but... But well, what we offer is a sort of a short, sharp intervention, usually to address a particular exam question. So there's something that they're grappling with. And in the early days of the pandemic, that was actually things like cash flow. Um, you know, how do we actually stay alive for the next kind of six to 12 months? And then um, and then as things kind of developed on, uh, it, you know, the, the problems or the exam questions developed on. But I, I think what we allow is a, a short, sharp intervention to to solve a particular problem or challenge that they've been grappling with. So I remember very early on there was an organisation whose entire business model revolved around big sporting events and suddenly those big sporting events just didn't exist anymore. So it was how do we survive for the next three to six months? How do we quickly pivot so that we're still viable as an organisation? And in in two sessions we came up with a, a plan which now has led to them going from absolutely strength to strength. So I think I think there is genuine, tangible financial, you know, improvements to or to SMEs, but then there's also short, sharp interventions for charities to help them solve some of their issues. Ray, what
1: would you say? I think. Well, firstly, I agree. I know what you mean when you when you talk about painting fence. I remember painting walls <laughs> a few years ago. I think there's a couple of things. I think ultimately our starting point for pop up is although we have kind of a standard offer, it's it's very much not just a cookie-cutter approach. So the starting point is a very sort of careful scoping call where we really understand what is the challenge that the organisation is grappling with. And like Annabelle said, at the beginning of the pandemic, it was much more about survival and helping to navigate the immediate disruption. And then as time's gone on, the the sort of areas of support we cover has become a bit broader. And now it's essentially any of the areas of expertise we have from our commercial work but the point is it's very much structured on what they specifically need help with and then we tailor our approach as opposed to us just saying we can offer you this be that painting or whatever it is so I think that really helps and I think like like Annabelle said it's a specific intervention and we're very very clear and this is one of the things we've we've sort of learned as time goes on we set expectations very clearly about what makes the process successful. So, it's very much not us getting a brief, going away, writing a report, giving them an answer. It's very much a collaborative process where we, you know, structure a session and and work out how to facilitate it and what expertise and insights we need to bring into the session. But very much, it needs to be a collaborative discussion where the, the organisation and whoever is joining from their side bring ideas, bring input, and we have this really helpful debate and discussion, and I think that's a really important point in terms of how how it works well. And I think the other thing I would say is we're clear as well in that it's not about getting to a very polished, finished product at the end of the process. It's more so about helping to shape challenge and develop thinking and I think you know given I've said it's sort of one to two days maximum support centered on a couple of workshops you've got to be realistic right about what ultimately you can achieve in that time and I think just making sure that that expectation is clear and understood is really helpful but ultimately often you know as with many organizations but particularly some of these very small charities and and businesses they're so constrained in terms of time and pressures that they often just don't a they don't often or ever get external perspective and challenge from you know external stakeholders also they just don't often have the time together as a team to be taking a step back and thinking about some of these bigger issues because they're in the day-to-day operational grind day in day out so that's another benefit we often find that people are like god it was just so you know so helpful having that dedicated time to think things through
0: yeah and I know you know for my team it it really was and I I think there's an interesting question there around being realistic with expectations for the sort of organisations you're working with. Actually, how do you help them understand what would be a good pop-up challenge? Because I, you know, having been a consultant, we all know that there's good consulting buyers and there's bad consulting buyers at sort of large organisational level. You know, a lot of these charities and small businesses you work with have probably never engaged a consulting firm. So actually understanding what's the best way to use you can be quite hard. How, how do you help them understand that?
1: So I think I think it's just about having, and this is one of the things I love about consulting, one of those very open sort of exploratory conversations at the beginning of the process where we ask them in advance to give us some, they do a sort of a self-assessment kind of form in advance where we get an idea of what their challenges are. And then we essentially just say, you know, what's, what challenges are you experiencing? What are you grappling with? And I think because I've got a fair amount of consulting experience and just, you know, business experience, you kind of can, you know, you just kind of go through a logical conversation where you identify, okay, what's the biggest challenges? Quite often, it could be that they've got a few different things going on, but it makes sense in terms of the sequencing, you know, like a they're grappling with something to do with like strategy and then something to do with fundraising, something to do with their team effectiveness, you might say, well, actually – in order of what we can help with, we could help with all of those areas. But actually, given you've got some strategic challenges, it would make sense to address those first and then we can work out or you can work out subsequently, you know, what fundraising you need to, to meet that strategy or how you need to get your team working effectively. So I guess it's just leveraging to answer questions, leveraging, you know, core sort of consulting skills of asking questions and listening and trying to do a bit of problem solving. And then ultimately, making sure that they agree and are comfortable. And I think because, you know, we're typically dealing with, you know, it, it might not necessarily be the CEO of the charity, but it's normally somebody from the, the senior team or who's got, you know, the, the right level of decision making and understanding. You, you can reasonably easily get to know what's going to be the the area that's going to have the biggest impact.
0: When you say it like that, it makes a lot of sense. And I think like you say, I guess it's you know, and this might then sort of tie on to the one of the other sort of angles of actually the benefits it's given you. Know, you mentioned around it as a consultant, you're using your skills. Are, I'd love to know how it's helped your team and actually, you know, Ollie mentioned the reasons, particularly when you had a large bench, it was a chance to give people that sort of outlet. Obviously you've kept it going, as I understand you, you're, you're very sort of, you're almost at capacity at the moment, you're flat out. So it's sort of evolved from there, but I'd love to understand actually how it's helped your team, you know, to develop those skills, how it's helped them from a career perspective. You know, Annabelle, I don't know, you mentioned you sort of, you run the Leeds office. How how's it sort of helped your team up there?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, we could probably both give you a set of answers here, actually, because there's so many benefits to to pop up. I mean, obviously, it came from the right place, it came from the heart, and it was in response to wanting to do something and make a difference and contribute in a way that was meaningful for us. But I mean, I mean in terms of for our people, you know, it's, it is given a huge amount in terms of well-being um, and personal development. So, you know, that that desire to give back, and particularly when you're on a long term project, people often say, gosh, I've been on something for six months. I'd, I'd really like just to do something a little bit different, even if it's for a couple of days or I'd like to try my hand at a particular thing. Like I've been doing organisational design, but I'd really like to learn more about strategy. It really gives those opportunities to say, well, you know, with very little time commitment, step out of your day to day, try something you personally developed in role, but also give back, make a positive difference and contribute to what is the our response to the pandemic. So. In terms of well-being and also personal development it's it's been huge I mean in terms of for Leeds it's also been great for us geographically we've we've supported a huge number of organizations in the north of England and you know we've reached out and they they've also simply reached back out to us to say you know we had a great experience with you would you help this organization and and that helps us to be part of the community and the, the narrative of, of, of Leeds as well and part of the pandemic response so you know there, there's multiple positive reasons for doing it but I mean Rowan you might want to talk about like the r d aspect of it as well because there's sort of a a larger part for for q5 as well isn't there in terms of development
1: yeah yeah sure and actually it's interesting because i think we we set it up so rapidly we didn't i think you know it wasn't like we had a lot of time or we didn't take a lot of time to think about what all the benefits could or couldn't be it was more just a reactive thing when when the crisis happened so I think we've all been quite surprised at how many additional benefits there have been for us as a firm. So just to add a little bit more to what Annabelle said, I think that we we sort of talk about Pop-Up being like our R&D engine and that we use it to develop and test sort of new offerings, new ways of doing things that we take back to our client work. So, you know, for example, um, at the moment we're sort of using it to test some new and develop some new thinking around our sustainability offer. We use it to sort of trial like new sort of quicker ways of doing things and workshops that we can then take back to client work as well so I think that's that's been really effective and I think ultimately because we're working with different or typically different organizations than we'd normally work with in different sectors and and also extensively in the third sector it's giving us a whole lot of new experiences and perspectives that may not seem directly relevant to some of our client work but actually I think the benefit of any good consultant is having that variety of experiences and just getting mm. that exposure to lots of different issues so i think that's another brilliant benefit i think also it's it's becoming i think a key part of our employee value proposition both in terms of you know people who are currently in our team and want to find a way of giving back but also you know i've noticed um just recently i've done a couple of interviews for new joiners and they've both been very curious about pop up and i think increasingly people and also our clients are expecting us and organizations in general to give back and show how they're, you know, making a contribution to society and to communities and pop-ups are a brilliant way of doing that.
0: There's a lot of interesting points in there and I, I'm going to pick on a few of them. I think starting that point around, you know, the, the employee value proposition, I guess in itself, it kind of, it, it gives some of your more junior team members a chance to almost test out being more senior, if you like. And I'd, I'd be interested how this has gone down because you know, when we all joined consulting at some point, you read the, the brochure and it says you'll be advising CEOs on strategy. And, and as you quickly find out at 21, that's not the case. But actually, for I imagine, and you, you, t- you two can tell me sort of in these pop ups, I imagine actually you can be a sort of 21, 22, 23 year old consultant advising these organizations on, on strategy and guiding them. And I imagine that's both quite rewarding for the consultant, but also teaches them a lot of skills that, frankly, you wouldn't want them to try out if you're with the CEO of you know, global client X
2: yeah i mean I've got a great example actually there's a there's a brilliant charity up here in in Leeds and uh it's very competent Q5er who said you know I I want to show my demonstrate my leadership skills I want to own this and run with this and actually use this then as evidence for what I can do so that when the next opportunity comes up that I you know there's obviously an evidence trail to to say yes and you know uh, this Q5er is more than capable of leading a project and 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 he grabbed that opportunity by both hands and and as a consequence then in the next Resourcing meeting, people are saying, yeah, he can absolutely do that. I've seen him do that. I've seen the result. It was excellent for the client. And, you know, and again, it, it, it's, it's an opportunity to show your skills, hone your skills or develop your skills and demonstrate them to the, the broader ecosystem, but, at a, but a, at a relatively low level of risk you know, and and, that, and I think that's the beauty of it. It also allows you to be creative, try something new, knowing that actually the, the client is incredibly generous in, in terms of if, if something doesn't quite go right, you know, and, and then you can quickly pivot and do something, something different. So yeah, totally agree.
1: Yeah. And then we've also got, you know, the way we structure the team, we'll make sure that there's the right sort of safeguards in place, so to speak, so that, you know, there's the support there if needed. So we'd always have a a sort of a, a very senior sort of experienced person in the team and then there could be typically there's somebody a bit more junior as well so there's always the right level of of support and challenge but ultimately you know there's it's completely up to you know if people want to step up as Annabelle just described that's really encouraged and it's a great opportunity for people it to surprises.
2: do that. It's a wonderful shadowing opportunity isn't it Roe because there's sometimes people so I'd love to spend some time with this Q5 and see them in action and you know I mean and you can you can do that for two hours two and a half hours learn a huge amount and then take that forward to your next your next assignment exactly
1: particularly because increasingly I mean we do still do you know we do a range of of project commercial projects of different lengths but you know increasingly we're doing you know longer projects that people might be on you know teams for like six months plus at least so it's a great way for them to get experience doing something else and also gives them exposure to because each pop-up is essentially like an end-to-end mini consulting project in terms of the initial, you know, building the pipeline, getting the lead, following it up, scoping it, putting the structure together, resourcing it, running the sessions, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, you really get that end-to-end exposure, which, you know, often you wouldn't get until you're a bit more senior within consulting.
2: I think really importantly as well for q five, particularly new ones that are coming into the business, it sees as actually like living our purpose. So our purpose is all about organizational health. It's about making organizations better. It's a, it's about making a difference with every interaction so that, you know, when the client, you know, whether it's a bit of advice they're giving or it's an actual session, the client is actually getting benefit from being with Q five every time that we interact. And and I think pop-up is a is a brilliant way or articulation of the company itself and the the brand and the purpose of Q five and, and and really what we're all about. So it's very genuine.
0: I think some some great both examples and and points there, and and actually how I guess the unintended benefits of of the pop up, and I guess it it might be one of the ones you've just described, or it might be something else. I just I'd love to know, you know, for the two of you, sort of having been so closely involved in it, which one stands out as the most surprising? Is there something that you thought has just just sort of knocked you off your feet? Thought I never realized this was going to help us or our, our clients or our pop up organizations to do something.
1: I I think, and I kind of alluded to this before. In some ways, I think because it was so reactive, we, I think, a lot of the wider benefits have all been a bit of a surprise. I guess the one that is not so much surprises me now, but I find it personally really quite, you know, I guess rewarding and quite sort of exciting is just all the additional opportunities that continue to come up because of pop up. So, you know, we haven't mentioned this yet, but you know, we've in the last few months we've. Formed a couple of partnerships. So we've got a partnership with a brilliant social enterprise called All Together. They provide pro bono support in the form of mentoring from CEOs of very established businesses to CEOs of more up and coming mm-hmm. businesses. And so we, you know, we have sort of cross referrals and agreements with them, and we do some joint events and content. So, you know, my point is, it's another example of just an additional opportunity. Mm-hmm. Another example: we recently got got the chance to offer some of our pop-up beneficiaries, a scholarship to attend a very prestigious course at Oxford University. So, you know, there's loads of these additional benefits and opportunities that come up. And I mean, we don't quite know exactly where, where what will happen over the next, you know, what else might come up in the next sort of months and, and year or so ahead. But I think for me, that's probably one of the really additional and quite exciting benefits. And and um, yeah, it's interesting to see what what, what else will transpire. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that.
2: I'd, I'd sort of. I, I, it's interesting, though, isn't it? You think the the benefit and the value is in the two half-day sessions or two-day sessions or however we we work it, but actually, what what we've found over time is that there's almost like a a long tail of benefit for the recipients, whether it be through other partners or we we've connected them to people or they've seen things or you know, and, and we've we, we've encouraged them into things. And and I think I think there is a there is a. An ongoing benefit actually, to being a pop-up recipient. i think I think for q five, the surprising thing, maybe I shouldn't be surprised really given my background, but that ability to really tighten up the brand identity, which was not the reason for doing it, but actually because it's such a fabulous articulation of who we are and what we do, it's allowed as a vehicle to to really talk about q five, uh, that that you know ambition of organisational health for all, and that in itself has generated then content. An evidence that, that that's who we are, and and that, and the, the great thing about you know strong brands is you know what you see on the inside is what you should see on the outside, and again it it's given us another vehicle to say look this is how we are on the inside this is what we do this is how we how we how we work together and then take that externally and demonstrate that to clients uh, and partners outside of Q five so um yeah I, I think that's been a, a an over overriding benefit I think from with my marketing and brand hat on.
0: Well, as someone who runs a marketing agency, Annabelle, I'm always keen to hear about the marketing benefits of these things. But I, I think, you know, to the examples you both gave, you know, some really powerful examples. And, you know, I think just the last sort of 10, 15, 20 minutes of our conversation has, has really sort of driven home the impact that that it's having, I guess, almost changing tack slightly, particularly for anyone listening who's kind of sold, you know, you've they want to set this up for their own consulting. Firm. I'd love to understand some of the, the operational elements. And I I think starting maybe, Rowena, with your point. You have know, mentioned a couple of times today that look, this was quite a, something we started like on the fly. I know in the sort of webinar that you did on on the pop up, you mentioned you started it was quite rough and ready. I'd love to understand, you know, particularly for anyone who might be listening to this, thinking, well, you know, Rowena Annabelle, this, this sounds great, but we just we're too busy. We're not a big enough firm to do this. Actually, how did you get it off the ground? And you know, maybe the the extension is if you were doing it again, you know, what what are the things you'd need to do, or someone would need to do to really start doing this in their own consulting firm?
1: So I think there were a few things. I mean, I think that the the environment we were in at the time we set it up, which was you know, COVID had just struck, we were all suddenly stuck at home. There was this real crisis, sort of emergency situation, and we there was an urgency to what we wanted to do. So. I guess in some ways that gives you an advantage because we knew we had to act quickly when we wanted to. But I think actually the the principle remains and would be the vice, advice I would continue to give, which is almost taking a bit of a MVP, a minimum viable product approach. So we knew we wanted to do something quickly. And it was almost like working out, going back to basics and working out what is our genuine real value that we can offer and trying to focus and leverage that. And for us, you know, Annabelle's, said you know our our core purpose at Q5 is you know helping to build better businesses globally but essentially what that means is bringing some really really good insights asking really effective questions effective facilitation helping to shape thinking and it was just about structuring some sessions that and some support that really leveraged our core purpose and our core expertise rather than going off and trying to develop something completely from scratch so I think that was that was part of it. So really extending our our core purpose and what we do well naturally and what we've got, you know, 10 plus years as a business of doing. And then I think the other point, which goes back to more the, the minimum viable product point is that, and also you mentioned in terms of, you know, as consultants, this sort of rough and ready approach, which perhaps we're not always comfortable with. There's actually something very, I find very refreshing and actually it takes a fair amount of honesty and confidence to be comfortable with, not being too polished. And I think actually that's almost the beauty of pop-up and what I mentioned earlier about the point we make to to the organisation when we're starting to work with them. This is not about giving them a polished, finished product. It's about helping to shape thinking. And actually when you think about our core value as consultants, if we, if we think the core value is all the extra polishing of the slides and aligning boxes and stuff, even though obviously that's very important, you know, that, that you're kind of missing a trick. Right. So really what the value we should be bringing and we do try and bring as consultants is the thinking and the challenge and the debate and the discussion. And that's sort of essentially what we seem to pop up on not about having, you know, perfectly final deliverables and everything polished to the nth degree, even though I do um, like to align boxes, of course. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I yeah, I can totally agree with everything you're saying there, not surprisingly, Rowan And uh, I think um, another key point is that it is a creative process. And, and actually, yeah, you know, it, that might feel a bit strange as a consultant when you used to turn it up with a polished pack. But actually, that is the beauty of it, is that when we start, set up on the road, and I'd said to so anyone who's thinking about doing this, you know, we we didn't have the full thing worked out. We just knew we wanted to make a difference, and we knew what our values and our principles were. And actually, what we said was, we'll we'll embrace this as a creative process. Uh, we'll start with a, as as Rose says, we'll start small. You know, we'll 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 have a minimum viable product, if you like, and then we'll build it up over time, and we'll learn as we go along. And and that's what we found is that you know it's massively evolved. Over the last sort of year to uh, to 15 or 16 months, it's massively evolved from what it was at the beginning. It's definitely got more polished in terms of the slides because we've had more time to do it. But it's a creative process. And I think you have to embrace that if you're going to go down that road.
0: I think a really good point, and, and the MVP piece, and it, it being a creative process, particularly. I I want to come on to the evolution in a moment, but I just I just want to hold, you know, Rowena. You you made the point around aligning boxes, and as a as a former or reformed consultant, I don't know. You can call me what you want. I yeah, I I do remember a lot of conversations that would would end up being more about whether it's uh, Calibri or Aerial, and whether it's you know a square or you know whether they're aligned than it is sort of uh, yeah. What's what's the client value? That's no slight on on, on anyone I've worked with, but I. I guess the question that leads me to is, like you said, as a breed of you know, consultants at large, we focus on that sort of stuff. And there can sometimes, I guess, be a, a reticence about doing something that isn't perfect. You know, all oh, the boxes aren't aligned will be the first thing the partner will notice. So we've got to get those boxes aligned. Or we've got to have a full value proposition. You know, And this may not have been a problem. This may have just been the Q5 culture sort of overcame this. But did you have any of those challenges helping people understand the principles you were building it on, that MVP approach? Did you have to you know do anything to get people to buy into that? And I asked that for anyone listening who's like my firm is all about aligned boxes and an aerial, not calibri.
1: yeah, it's a good question. And you're talking about getting people aligned from the q five side as opposed to
0: exactly. Yeah. So get, getting everyone, I guess, getting everyone on the Q5 side bought into following an MVP approach as opposed to a kind of make the perfect op model for the end result and then build it.
1: I think it's a very good question. I would, and Anna, but it'd be good to get your views. on. Well. I would say no. And I think it's because we were just very, very clear with the whole organization and Q5, you know, being, you know, there's about 150 of us and we often have, you know, we have weekly calls, company-wide calls regularly, certainly with the UK team. So my point is that it's, It's a very effective way to get comms out and be very sort of collaborative and transparent, which I think really helps. So I think people immediately, everybody got the concept of it. And the the flip side is in order to make pop-ups sustainable and to work, we have to have these time box interventions. So we say that, we know, every pop-up is resourced from a team of volunteers who are doing alongside their, you know, very busy, you know, full-time client work. So there's actually not a lot of choice. And I people will say to me, oh, how much what's the time commitment? And I kind of say, well, we it varies a little bit. It's it, it's, you know, we say no more than two days spread over several weeks. But in order to make that work, you, you can't, I mean, yes, they can spend more hours if they want to making everything perfect and doing more, more research, but actually the challenge I give to the teams is you need to sort of really limit what it is you're doing and and work out where you're going to be able to provide the most value because otherwise you're just not going to be able to manage it we're not going to end up doing as many pop-ups because you'll be spending all that time doing all the extra stuff so we challenge ourselves with that quite a bit in terms of how much time are we spending doing it
2: yeah i I mean i think we're always really conscious that the value is in the brain power you know we are donating our time and you know our experience you know and and we tend to try and put together teams to match the exam questions so you know Often, if it's if it's a you know if it's a marketing exam question, Roanna might ask me to get involved. If it's a strategy question, she might ask Joel to get involved. So, but it's because of the you know it's because you've experience or you've expertise in this particular area, and that's where we want you to put the the time and the effort, not not in terms of if it, if it looks slick or not. I, th- I think the the approach we have externally as well that this is something that we co own and co create with you. So you know this is not again this sort of polished slick. You know, typical sort of consulting product that we are going to give to you. This is something that we are going to co-create together. And, and as a consequence, it could go in a number of directions. So, so it's not going to be the finished article when we set out. We're going to take you on a journey and, and move you through it and, and you, you know, get you, get you to the place where you're. You know, you've got the answer to your question at the end of it. So I think it's partly the approach, and also, I mean, just back to what Roe was saying about, you know, the challenge. It sort of forces a very agile way of working because, you know, sometimes when these things pop up, if you like, in people's in trays, it's very much side of desk that they're working on a big client, and it's like, can you help us out with this for a day or two days, or would you be interested? And you've got to be quite agile about how you approach that because obviously you've got to give 100% to the clients and then think about a creative way of actually also delivering a pop-up.
0: Yeah I think it's it's a it's a really interesting point it's Parkinson's law isn't it that work will expand to the time you allow for it and and the the inverse is true you know if you've only got two days you focus on the urgent and important and not the you know not not urgent or not important I think you know is a really powerful sort of point to make that you focus on the value you're giving that insight that's the asking the right questions the framing the problem to your point there a little bit annabelle you know you're explaining how different people are brought in at different stages for different pop-ups i mean uh, that talks to an element of maturity around pipelining some of these different opportunities to deciding who's best on the team and i i'd love to understand actually how you have scaled this because you know Ro, you mentioned earlier that you aim for one of these a week and actually this is also not and you know this is not anyone in the organization's full-time job. How have you scaled pop-up so that it is sustainable and doesn't become overwhelming? you know if you I don't know how many applications you've got, but let's say you get five applications or ten applications a pop-up tens easier for my bad maths. You know that's sort of five hundred and twenty you've got to filter down to fifty two. That's just the tip of the iceberg. How have you built the I guess operating model around this to to be able to deliver it at scale?
1: I think um. You know, as you'd expect with time and experience, we everything's just become a lot slicker. So, you know, we've now got, because we've done, you know, we tend to provide support over, I'd say, five or six pretty consistent themes, be they sort of strategic or operational, fundraising, whatever it is. And so now that we've done multiple across each theme, we've got sort of a, a set of, or a library, so to speak, of past examples and templates to draw from, which obviously we, you know, we tailor and we sort of tailor to sort of suit the particular organisation but we've got we've got a starting point and i think that makes a really big difference and i think there's some other things we've done in terms of just the end to end process so i mentioned before a couple of things we do about the the scoping which is really really important to get right so we have now this sort of self assessment form we have a call you know very early on where you know, I'll and sometimes Annabelle joins them as well, but, I'll, you know, I'll ask some, you know, pretty broad but specific questions that get into the specifics of really what the challenge is. So we scope it quite quite quickly. I think we kind of know now from experience what's the right number of people to bring in and the approach I tend to take with resourcing is typically to try and have maybe one or two extra people on the team because, and this just happened this afternoon, suddenly someone's like, I've got a pop-up I can't do, I've got client work. And so then at least that's the, the buffer that I use to try, to try and manage it. So there's, there's quite a few things like that that we just have, we just are reflective in now and you kind of just figure out what what works well, what doesn't, being really, really clear on expectations of not just the organisations we're supporting, but also the teams. So, you know, I say to them, because I think everybody's natural sort of inclination as a consultant is to ask, Like I'll give them the notes from the scoping call, then they come back and they're like, what about this and this and this? And I'm like, look, I've had a half an hour call. I can only cover so much. and also, although we want to know everything, we have to actually challenge ourselves that we we you you could often turn these projects, pop-up projects into like they could be full-time like eight, twelve week pieces of work. So the challenge I give to the team is you need to sort of ask only almost what's really essential, and it's very much therefore realizing that in the in the pop-up, the people who are the experts still continue to be the the organizational or the clients, so to speak. So yeah, there's quite a few, I think I think just, it's just making everything very slick from an operational perspective and knowing what works well, what doesn't. So like sometimes we'll use, we'll run all the sessions on PowerPoint. Sometimes we've done this in the last couple of months, started to use Mural a bit more. So just use virtual whiteboards for the whole session. So not using PowerPoint feels quite revolutionary in some ways for, for a consultant. But my point is that can be a really effective way of, you know, you set up some virtual whiteboards and then, you know, you're not, you're not actually finessing lots of slides at all. So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's lots of, lots of things like that. I think we just do to make it slick. Annabelle, you've probably got something else to add to that.
2: Yeah, so Ro, just building on what you were saying there, something that came to mind was that the way that we resource it as well internally. So it's very much voluntary. Um, mm. So people who put themselves forward for pop up are usually doing it because they have a particular passion for the the cause or the or the industry, or have a particular interest in wanting to learn more about strategy or organisational design or leadership development. And so that really helps us to to uh, to resource and and for people to contract in to spend the time doing pop up. The other thing as well, I think, which is probably you know very typical to Q5 is that there's a very strong team effort obviously if you step in and say look I'm going to do pop-up that might mean that someone else has to have your back on something else outside of pop-up and just the way that we're organized in terms of being an ecosystem and saying okay well if you're doing that I'll step in and do this bit and then you can come back and do that bit that sort of seamless movement of work also helps us to do it because I know what you mean. It, it may might be in, in different cultures. It might be well. Actually, if you know, if I'm block, block booked here, it's almost impossible for me to get out and mm-hmm. and do something outside of projects. But it, it's just the way that we're structured. It sort of really lends itself to that. You know, one or two external interventions.
0: Uh, really interesting to hear and some some great sort of tips in there and just insights. You know, probably things that help you with your consulting work as well. I mean, the the idea of doing consulting outside of PowerPoint, Rowan, is probably revolutionary for most. But I suspect something. You know, many of your clients probably also value as well. So I'm conscious we're we're coming towards the end of our time together. And I do want to ask you both, there's some short wrap-up questions that I ask everyone, but I'd love to get your take. Um, because I always love the differences and, and similarities. But before I do, I guess the, the last obvious question, and and this probably ties us nicely back to where I left things with Ollie, is, you know, what's next for the pop-up? He mentioned that you're you're turning it into a company limited by guarantee. And I sort of smiled and nodded, not hundred percent knowing what that means. So I would love to know from yourselves. What what is next? What what is next to the pop up, and where do you see it going over the next you know twelve, eighteen, twenty four months?
1: So I think like like Ollie said, so we're setting it up so not for profit company by, limited by guarantee, so essentially just a, its own entity. We did consider setting it up as a charity, and then for various reasons, we decided to set it up as this as this different different sort of structure. But ultimately, that's to give it its own almost like there's lots of reasons, but I sort of think the main reason is giving it its own identity sort of alongside Q5, but within the sort of broader Q5 umbrella. And we've got plans to sort of integrate it within the Q5 Foundation, which is the charitable endeavour we sort of set up when Q5 was launched sort of, you know, 10 plus years ago. I mean, I think there's lots of different ways we can take it, which again is one of the things I find quite exciting. I mean, a couple of things that spring to mind, and particularly as I've been you know, very heavily involved over the last sort of six months or so, I'm just seeing more and more opportunities to add additional sort of, not so much benefits, but different sort of mini offers to our core support. So in the last few months, we've started to really make quite a few introductions between organisations that might say offer a a similar service, but in different parts of the country. So they might, we might put them, introduce them so they can share experiences. You know, recently we had, a pop up for an organization that worked in Uganda. Then I spoke to another organization that was also doing some work in Uganda. So we linked them together. There's lots of ways to connect people, which I think is really helpful. And also, I think over the past few months, there've been a lot of very consistent themes that come up again and again. So one of the ones that has come up a lot, and it's, I think it's all linked to this whole sort of move towards a lot more purpose-driven business, is this opportunity for increasing corporate and third sector collaboration and the more and this comes back to your point about very well-intentioned but often not particularly impactful paint fencing the more we can help corporates and this can come through our commercial work and our commercial sort of contacts to genuinely provide really good opportunities and CSR and and so on for organisations in the third sector, I think that would be a brilliant benefit because there's so much that can be achieved from, you know, third sector and private sector collaboration, but often it is just slightly misaligned. So that's an area that I personally would really like to take pop up in and just developing things in that way. And, you know, like I said, there's several partnerships we've got underway. So there's all, all different sorts of, of directions that pop up and go, but ultimately it's about what will enable us to have the greatest impact. And I think as well, what will be most closely aligned with our Q5 core purpose, because I think that's when it comes naturally and that's where it really is something that adds value rather than going off in a completely different kind of direction. Yeah, I'd, I'd
2: agree. I mean, I, I think there's some practical things we can do to sort of kickstart some of that activity as well. So, you know, a few of the pop up recipients have come to us and said – would you mind actually doing more of a round table? So get it, you know, a lot of us have the same issues or concerns, maybe in the charitable sector, for example, how do we adapt our fundraising? How do we adapt our social media? Could you get some of us around the table and talking? And, and that way we can learn from each other. And also to Bro's point, you, you could then also ex- extend that on to corporate potential partners, et cetera, so that you can actually get them in a room and get them talking and see whether there's a good a good kind of fit. I also think, you know, I mean, I, I hope that we we will have inspired some other organisations to do the same thing. I mean, we did it because we wanted to respond to the pandemic. It was a particular moment in time, but what we've found is that the the benefits, as we discussed today, have been, you know, multiple, both for the recipients, but also on a personal level for the Q5ers, but also for the Q5 organisation as well. And and I hope that maybe some of your listeners are thinking, actually, we could do something like that. And it it wouldn't take a lot of investment. And we could do a bit of trial and error and just kind of get off the blocks and, and actually get stuck in. And that way, we can all be part of the solution.
0: Yeah, uh, I think a, I think a really powerful point, Annabelle, and, and quite right. And you know, one of the main reasons I was really keen to to get you both on the show because obviously you you know you're living this, you've done it very successfully, and and you do show that it can be done. And I think in a world, you know, the world is moving towards more purpose driven business. And I think a lot of organisations are saying a lot of things, but like you said earlier, Annabelle, actually it comes down to living them. And and Rowena, like you highlighted, you know, just simply sending your consultants out to to paint fences isn't actually probably the best way to help these organisations, you know, in the short or the long term. So, both I, I've really enjoyed this, and it's been great to find out. And as I say, I I want to ask you both the last two questions, and these are one is one I ask all my guests, one's a variation on a theme based on our conversation. So I'm, I'd I'd love to get your answers to these. The first take this, you know, related to the, the pop-up, take this more related to your sort of careers in consulting, but I'm, I'm an avid reader and I always like to ask my guests, you know, what what's the book or or books you find yourself recommending most often and why And, wise? and, and I'd, I'd love to get your your take. I don't know. Who wants to go first?
2: Can I go first just in case we've got the same
1: book? Go ahead, <laughs> Annabelle. <laughs>
2: Thanks. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm sure Ollie probably said the magic sponge, by the way, but, um, it, but if you... Um, but um i would say the advantage by lensioni for anyone's in, in consulting that is by, for organizational health and organizational design that is a really good read and it's not that long and it's it's very digestible so i would say that is that the same as you Ro, or do you- No <laughs> do you know i, I actually
1: wanted i wanted to mention a book that i'd say is not a business book is that is that okay, Nick? Or would you want me please? To go yeah, up? no, no. I, I,
0: it regularly reminds me that I should read more fiction books. So go I'm, on, tell I'm me. I'm a
1: big supporter in bro- and very broad knowledge and, and experiences and so on. So I guess that's my. That's why I'd say I think it can become relevant. So there's there's actually two. I'll very quickly mention both of them that I've read recently, and I, I think both of are the brilliant. So one is called House of Glass by Hadley Freeman, and she's a um, brilliant author and she's a Guardian columnist, and it's an absolutely fascinating account of her family history through the 20th century very very interesting all her family's jewish and it's just absolutely fascinating and i couldn't put it down And the other one which you may have heard of because it was a bit of a um it, it came out i think yeah last year maybe the year before and I, i've seen it a lot on instagram and things but i only recently read it and i think it is absolutely brilliant it's called the boy the mole the fox and the horse by charlie Oh McKenzie. yeah i have read and, that it's
0: good i yeah. think my <laughs> wife has been reading that as well
1: it's yeah. it's got the most beautiful illustrations and the most beautiful messages and i've since given it to about five different people including several of my family members in New Zealand. And I just think it's got a lot of very poignant messaging, which is applicable in any sort of business or personal setting. So I'd definitely recommend that one.
0: Amazing, both. Well, some really good recommendations, and and yes, I always like getting fiction as well as nonfiction because I think you know balance is important. I I probably don't have enough balance in in what I read, and yes, we didn't. I didn't actually, Annabelle, get a chance to speak to Ollie about the Magic Sponge Book. I know it well from um, sort of my conversations with him before, but I will put that in the show notes as well because I think it's a, an incredible thing. And then the very last question, both, and, and this is, again, it's an adaptation of what of I ask all of my guests, and I, I want to frame it very much around what we've talked about here, which is you know, building a CSR initiative, for want of a better word. And, and it's quite simply, what one piece of advice would you give to someone if they were coming to you and saying, right, I want to launch a CSR consulting initiative, what's the piece of advice you would give them to set them on their way?
1: So I think for me, and we've sort of alluded to it, but I think it's making sure there's a natural fit with what your core purpose is as an organization and therefore what your offer is, you know, your CSR offer, because that way you're really leveraging your strengths and expertise, which in theory should make it much easier to achieve. And I think, I think the other one I'd say is make sure that what you're offering is something which is genuinely aligned with the a benefit or a need that the people or the organizations you're looking to support have so you're very much aligning purpose and need and that's to you know avoid the, the well-intentioned but often not very impactful CSR offers which sometimes just don't really hit the mark
2: yeah I totally agree with you I think being authentic and genuine it needs to be linked to your values your DNA actually what you do so you know in many ways What we what we do with pop up is because it's what we do and and how we, you know, how we make our money, actually. So genuine and authentic. I would also say just loose guide rails. So you you need to know what you're doing, but keep them loose because it is a creative process and be prepared for it to go in a number of directions once you get into it. As long as it's authentic and genuine and tied to your values, that's going to be okay. And and then finally, just get started. Start small. Do something that you know is is um, possible. You don't need to boil the o- ocean from day one at all. You c- you just need to start small. Get yeah. out there and try it.
1: Yeah, done is better than perfect. Is a mantra that that a very wise yes. person said to me about. I don't know, it was about eighteen months or so ago, but longer. Yeah. And I think it's brilliant, particularly as consultants, we often have a bit of a. Perfectionist tendency, so I think that done is better than perfect is is a good little um, mantra to try and <laughs> to try and um, live by, so to speak.
0: <laughs> I think some great advice to end there, both and uh, yeah, I'm a big believer in, in done be- is better than perfect, particularly as a, a reformed consultant. I don't always know if it's Calibri or Aerial or if the boxes aligned, but if my my, my team are listening, they'll know some you know, some things do carry over. And the last thing to ask really is anyone who who's listened to this and and wants to find out more about the pop-up wants to find out more about yourselves wants to sort of see what you've done and try and see how they can do it for their own firm where would you point them to where can they get in touch
2: well i I guess it's uh, our emails are you know annabelle.tonge at q5partners.com rowena.read at q5partners.com you'll find us on linkedin or you know just reach out to info at q5partners.com and you'll you'll definitely get to us eventually without too many steps
1: yeah, and also for your listeners, Nick, we're always looking to you know build our pipeline. So if there's anyone who is you know affiliated anyway with a particular charity and not for profit, or yeah. knows of a small organisation, small business who might benefit from some support, please, please introduce us. You know either directly, or if you go onto our website, there's a there's a pop up sort of page with an inbox people can send a message to. But we would be delighted to to discuss how we could help.
0: Amazing both. Well, I will put both of your details on the show notes that accompany this. I'll put a link to the, the pop-up page. And I think, you know, really good point Rowena, around anyone who is listening to this, who runs a smaller organization or know, or you know, knows anyone who is running a smaller organization to get them in touch. Because having been one of your pop-up organizations, it, I know the value these yeah. initiatives have. We still use your OEM every strategy session here internally at Create Engage. So I know it's been really valuable. I think it sounds like it has for others. And so, yeah, for anyone listening, definitely recommend getting in touch. Thank you, both, this has been really, really enjoyable. Great to understand and, and get into the weeds of how you're helping so many people. And all that's left to say is, is all the best for the rest of your week.
1: Yeah, thanks, Nick. No, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a great discussion. So yeah, thanks a lot.
0: <laughs> thanks a lot, both.
1: Take care.
0: I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Climbing Consulting. If you have any guest recommendations, comments, ideas, thoughts on how I can make this show better for you, just drop me an email. It's Nick at createengage.co.uk and I really look forward to hearing from you.